Welcome to What's the Deal, our investment banking podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of What's the Deal, we'll explore the trends that are driving deal-making and transforming industries today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Junick from J.P. Morgan's corporate advisory and sustainable solutions team, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Fahin Alaboy global head of development and multilateral institutions. Fahim, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Evan. It's great to be back with the podcast team. So Fahim, for those who don't know, you joined the podcast just about a year ago. You're now doing something a little bit different. So can you tell me more about what it means to be the global head of development and multilateral institutions and maybe share with our listeners what this role entails and how it differs from your previous position? Absolutely. So indeed, there have been a few changes after heading the J.P. Morgan Development Finance Institution that you referenced for about three and a half years. I was given the opportunity to head our business with the development and multilateral institutions. So I sit within our public sector coverage in our corporate and investment bank, and we help multilateral development banks for their own funding, their treasury services, their payments, but then also on their mobilization activity meaning working alongside them to finance clients in emerging and developing markets. So that's different from the J.P. Morgan DFI, on the other hand, which actually provided a service where we prepared an impact assessment for eligible J.P. Morgan clients to attract additional capital to those deals. So this impact assessment was based on and was informed by the impact frameworks used by the multilateral development banks. So in essence, the JPM DFI was an impact offering of our firm, whereas I'm now in a new position with a more traditional banking role, bringing J.P. Morgan's businesses and services and our global reach to the MDBs as our direct clients. Excellent. Now, Fahim, I understand that your team has specifically been working on what you're calling an industry impact disclosure guideline project. Can you give us a little bit of a background around that? And what really sets it apart from other sustainable finance instruments? What are the key objectives? And how do you see it supporting impact investing in capital markets? So I'm bouncing back again to what we were doing at the J.P. Morgan DFI, but I think that was incredibly important because that team really pioneered the effort to build development finance as an asset class. And the main driver was impact, and impact being a key metric that investors are increasingly focused on. They're keen to measure it, to monitor it, and to get reporting on impact data and metrics. So a lot of what happens in ESG today is looking at where money is spent. So on a solar farm, and this is what you would see in a green bond, for example, you would see that $100 million was spent to procure the land, another 100 to buy the panels, and another 100 to construct, you know, just by way of example. But I think that more and more investors want to know how many jobs were created, how many megawatts will be produced, how many households will be connected, will they be rural or urban households, and will that change the energy mix of the country? And another target that obviously many investors are focused on what CO2 emissions will be avoided. So looking at this space, we really realized that the majority of ESG ratings and even regulation were really built to suit developed market issuers and were really focused on climate metrics, right? And I gave you a climate example. Right. However, there's so many clients that we have in the emerging markets that do very different things. They're providing 
port services or road access or financial access to people who may not have that. So they have an incredible impact on their societies, on their economies, but that data is not there to give them credit in the sustainable finance market. So as we engage with investors, we wanted to build a product so that impact could be a theme that we bring to them. So it's indeed true that it's been harder to look at that impact in areas that have less data. And emerging markets are places where there's less data, but there's also certain sectors that have just not gotten the focus that climate has gotten in general. And whilst the JPM DFI was focused on the emerging markets, we think going forward, impact can be used much more broadly, including in developed markets. And so I think your question really leads me to what we've been doing. So yeah. in terms of trying to create global standards, JP Morgan is part of an impact disclosure task force that was launched in the spring of 2023. There are about 30 or 40 participants, including the multilateral development banks, institutional investors, underwriters, standard setters, rating agencies. And all of these people have come together to really focus on impact disclosure at an entity level. So not at the level of the issuance, but actually at the level of the entity. And so I think the objectives of this task force are threefold. The first is to actually create disclosure guidelines per sector for both the positive impacts as well as the negative impacts. And we would like to be able to note that sometimes projects have both positive and negative impacts. And how do you net them off and how do you bring disclosure around them? The second is that reporting is a little bit all over the place. Not in certain sectors, in certain places, but in others it can be. And so how do we bring together and establish a platform that investors can access that impact reporting data on? And they have a one-stop shop. And that's kind of an objective. Let's see if we get to that. And then third is that'll hopefully help develop an ecosystem of third-party services. Eventually, I think there'll be more independent impact verification, impact ratings, maybe even benchmark indices for impact. So that's kind of the future. And we would love that to kind of evolve over time. So that's really the ultimate goal is to create a virtuous cycle. So with Mm -hmm. these disclosures, corporates and sovereigns can report on an annual basis and facilitate more sustainable finance towards their entities. You talked a little bit about the Impact Disclosure Task Force, and I think one of the constituents of that were these multilateral development banks. And my understanding is that they're actually under a fair bit of pressure to reform their own architecture. How are the reforms expected to impact their mission? And what do you think that means for emerging markets, which are the primary beneficiaries of those development banks' capabilities? So I think it's important to step back and understand what the multilateral development banks are. These were institutions, some of them were created right after World War II to reconstruct Europe. Others were created in regions such as the Asian Development Bank, the African Development Bank. And their mandate today to alleviate poverty and boost prosperity in the emerging markets. And they were set up and they were capitalized by different shareholders. So they are actually owned by a group of sovereign shareholders. And today, their financial firepower of these institutions is small. 
especially relative to the growth in the emerging markets. So today, if you include China, emerging markets make up 60% of world GDP. So they've really emerged over the past 20 years. And they attract a wide source of capital. There is a significant amount of foreign direct investment that goes into emerging markets and also just remittances that they see every year from citizens abroad now dwarfs what the multilateral development banks can do. At the same time, the MDBs play a very important role beyond just the finance they provide. They have incredibly strong human capital, deep expertise on sectors. I mean, it could be energy or agricultural policy, health systems, road and port construction, financial management. And the other strength they have is that they have people in offices all over the world. This gives them a unique perspective to be able to take action, have convening power, bring together disparate actors to solve problems. So while they may be smaller financially, they are being asked by their shareholders to do more. And this comes in the face of a few things. So the first is that they've been fairly country-focused, which makes sense. But I think a lot of these challenges that we've seen recently are transnational in nature. So climate is a transnational problem, flooding, water, health, pandemics, migration. And so I think there has been a push from shareholders to say, what can we do to finance more of these global public goods to avoid natural disasters, pandemic? And how much more risk can these institutions take to stretch their balance sheets and deploy more? Most of the MDBs are AAA-rated institutions, and they tend to manage their balance sheets in a very prudent perhaps conservative manner, right, given the geographies they work in. And so they're being asked to do more, to utilize more innovative financial products, while still maintaining their strong credit rating, whilst now taking on these bigger transnational challenges. So bigger objectives, financial constraints, and J.P. Morgan helps to facilitate bridging that gap between capital needs and capital availability. Is that fair? Absolutely. I mean, all these institutions raise money in the bond markets. They work with banks to mobilize additional capital to do more in local currency markets. And I'm happy to speak more about that. Well, I'd also like to shift a little bit towards climate specifically. And I know we've actually talked about how this isn't just about climate, and I think that's important. But obviously, climate is a very big part of this. The transnational point you made in your last comment being a very relevant one for this topic what are the key focus or themes on climate right now from where you sit? And what are the specific roles the MDBs can play in advancing climate financing in emerging markets and developing economies? So I think you're spot on. I think the MDBs have really sought to tackle climate as one of these global public goods that they're trying to focus on. And they've made it really the forefront of their strategies and set even more ambitious targets than they've already had. For example, the World Bank already has a 35% target for its lending to be climate-related, and each of the MDBs have established and are implementing methodologies to have their portfolios be Paris-aligned by 2025. So I think their commitment to climate is really strong, and on the sidelines of the recent World Bank and IMF annual meetings in Marrakesh, the MDBs published their joint report on climate finance, which tracks the progress that the MDBs do in financing climate, and they've surpassed their objective for a second year in a row. 
But the second part that the MDBs play, given their role and size and knowledge, is that they are well suited to focus on a broader set of climate issues. So it's not just CO2 mitigation, not just renewables and EV batteries that the private sector can do more and more of around the world. I think what they're very well positioned to do is help governments with their climate strategies, not just in their energy sectors, but in agriculture, water, land use, coastal erosions, how to build better cities, smarter cities, how to have less carbon intensive manufacturing implement energy efficiency plans, and then also how can they work on adaptation programs or nature-based solutions? And then also how do they help vulnerable populations when there are climate disasters? So very broad mandate for the MDBs, clearly. You sort of mentioned some of these recent events in your comments around the IMF annual meetings, New York Climate Week, UN General Assembly. You serve as, in some sense, a representative for J.P. Morgan, certainly with respect to these topics in those forums. I think listeners will be fascinated to hear what are some of the key takeaways that are coming out of those forums at this moment in time? Absolutely. I think it's really interesting going to these fora in 2023 versus 2022. And the one thing I would say I felt is a sense of urgency. So this year is the halfway mark for the world's commitments to the Sustainable Development Goals, and we're not on track. And I think people are seeing that 2050 and even 2030 are fairly far away. And what can we do in the next two years and three years? I think people are also having more nuanced debates about if we want to get things done quickly, maybe we apply the 80-20 rule. And as I said earlier, we know who the top emitting countries are. And these include the likes of the U.S. and China and India and European nations. Maybe we focus on some of the largest emitters to get the CO2 emissions down. And I think that's a real interesting shift as well, because a lot of these discussions are like, how does every country move along that curve? And that's incredibly important because in the future, who emits may be different than what it is today. But if we really want to focus on bringing down temperatures, I think maybe the 80-20 rule might apply. I think the other interesting thing that's happened in all of these meetings and gatherings is that the public sector and private sector are both in the room. And I think a lot of these conversations were initiated and dominated by public sector entities for many years. And now the private sector is there. And the private sector has its own transition plan. And they understand that they need to be a part of the overall solution. So that's an interesting other theme that has happened. And I'm very interested to see COP, where we think we'll have some of the largest private sector participation to date. So you took the next question right out of my mouth there, which is obviously the next large gathering around these themes is COP28. I think the last time you were on the podcast, we were actually gearing up for COP27. What's in store for COP28? So I think for COP28, which will be hosted in Dubai end of November, early December, just before we talk about that, I just want to make a recap of what COP is. So we've used a lot of acronyms and we'll try and you know keep it as simple as possible. So it is the main decision-making body of the, watch another acronym, UNFCCC, the United Nations Framework on the Convention on Climate Change. And COP involves negotiations where the representative of all countries that are signatories or parties to the UNFCCC gather and discuss the commitments they've made and the progress on those commitments. And some of them can be 
important international events. For example, COP21 in Paris is when the countries agreed to keep global temperatures increased below 2 degrees Celsius, right? So as mentioned, COP28 will take place in Dubai. And what's changed over time is what I mentioned before, is that not only will it bring together governments, but civil society participates, their thought leaders, their businesses, and providers of capital like ourselves, who are all coming together to discuss how do we advance the climate ambitions that were set by this body. I think this COP will again happen at a critical time. We're going to be taking a stock-taking of the progress towards the Paris Agreement, and it's likely going to be the biggest COP to date, attracting significant attendance, including the private sector. Some of the key themes that are going to probably be discussed include climate change mitigation adaptation, financing the loss and damage, decarbonization of the energy sector, sustainability in food systems, but also something that I work on, which is mobilizing private sector investments towards this objective. And I think that one of the key priorities of the UAE COP28 presidency is also that same reform of the MDBs we were talking about earlier and how we can channel more finance to the emerging markets in support of these global climate goals. For JP Morgan in particular, we will be there present and engaged. And I think we expect to have our largest COP delegation to date in Dubai. Excellent. Well, last question for you. Where do you see 2024 and beyond? And are there any exciting initiatives or themes on the horizon that you'd want to share with our listeners? So in the space that I operate in, what the multilateral development banks do, I think we've discussed a lot of these key themes. So the few that we've discussed before that we will be very actively participating in is really how do we help these institutions expand their capital base. Some are looking at raising hybrid capital or more smartly leveraging their existing capital. So that's one thing that we will be engaging with. The second, of course, is climate finance. And a third that we discussed as well is mobilizing private capital. How do the private sector and the multilateral development banks work together? And what products can we leverage to scale? Great. Well, Fahina, I think that pretty much wraps up our time for today. Thank you so much for joining me to walk through your important work and best of luck at COP28. Thanks so much. I'm really excited that JP Morgan is such a key partner to these important institutions and that we can work with them on the incredible impact they have on the markets and countries they cover. Thanks for listening to What's the Deal? If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to JP Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. To stay ahead of the curve, sign up for JP Morgan's In Context newsletter, packed full of market views and expert insights delivered straight to you. To subscribe, just visit jpmorgan.com forward slash in hyphen context. This material was prepared by the Investment Banking Group of JP Morgan Securities LLC and not the firm's research department. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sale, or tender of any financial instrument.